You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Fourth of July weekend, and uh, we are into it now on what is turning out to be a nice weather-wise Sunday afternoon here in New York City. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone has celebrated responsibly so far this weekend, but celebrated nonetheless. It is Pat O'Keefe with you for the next three hours as uh, Busy Sports Sunday continues. You know, usually this is a quote-unquote slow time on the sports calendar, but as pretty much anybody listening knows, there is no such thing anymore. Uh, There are very few slow sports times anymore with all of the NBA action going on right now. Important series wrapping up today for both the Yankees and the Mets. You heard the Mets, a big part of that update at the top of the hour. Not ready to give up on the Mets just yet. This is a very big game. Uh, They're chasing about... Uh, 15 or 16 teams between them and the final wild card spot. But that final wild card spot is currently occupied by tonight's opponent, the San Francisco Giants. If you look at the Mets and you watch the games lately, they've, they're playing better, right? Over the last week, and, and they've been such a colossal disappointment, which we've all been discussing ad nauseum, and rightfully so. But the Mets in the last week, they're uh, they're two and five. They they literally handed two games away last Sunday. The bullpen implosion in Philadelphia, and then on Friday night, David Robertson, who's been one of the best Mets this season, giving up the three run home run in the eighth inning to flip that game in favor of the San Francisco Giants. Those two things don't happen. The Mets are four and three over their last seven games and looking for a series win tonight. But the uh, has not played out that way for the Mets this week or all season. Yankees with a nice and important bounce-back win last night after a rough opener. Luis Severino is officially a concern for the Yankees just when you think. And, look, the Yankees at four – it's amazing. It really is amazing that the Yankees are 46 and 37 because this, to me, feels like the kind of team that every time you uh, spring – you you plug one of those holes in the boat that is leaking – another hole and another leak pops up or another two leaks pop up. And this is a perfect example. Yankees have done a really good job, not even a pretty good job. The Yankees have done a really good job holding the fort without Aaron Judge. It has not looked pretty. Uh, Outside of playing against the Oakland A's, the Yankees offense has been anemic. That being said, if the Yankees win today against the Cardinals and they get going uh, about two hours from now, Good pitching matchup, Garrett Cole against Jordan Montgomery. Yankees win today, they win this series, and they would also move to 12-12 and without Aaron Judge. And that is significant because, look, you, you hope that Judge can come back shortly after the All-Star break. Uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding that, but the fact that they've been able to hold the fort without him has been very impressive and important. But as far as, you know, plugging one hole and another leak springing up, It sounds like Carlos Rodon is finally on his way to the Bronx to make his Yankees debut Friday night. He came through his final rehab start well yesterday, and he pitched really well. He struck out eight batters in three and two-thirds innings uh, in Hudson Valley, high A ball. Uh, He's uh, slated to start Friday against the Cubs. But now you have this Luis Severino concern. Severino started the season on the shelf, as he always seems to do. His first two starts were very good. He gave up one run in each of them. Since then, he's made six starts. Five of them have been bad. And of those five, three of them, including yesterday, have been atrocious to the point where he doesn't even give his team a chance to win. So that is officially a concern. We'll hear some thoughts on that from the manager, Aaron Boone, and others coming off of his performance yesterday in Game 1. But the Yankees did bounce back in Game 2 
to split the doubleheader in St. Louis. And again, it's Cole and Jordan Montgomery. By the way, that Jordan Montgomery trade for Harrison Bader that everybody was freaking out about last year, myself included, I did not like it. I didn't think it made sense at the time. That trade has aged well, and there's not a lot of positive things being said about Brian Cashman these days. I think that trade has actually aged pretty well, as long as Harrison Bader can stay healthy, which is a big if. Montgomery's a good pitcher. He's fine for the Cardinals in the middle or back end of their rotation. But pitching hasn't been the issue for the Yankees. Harrison Bader is a superior defensive player, and... Because the Yankees' offense has been so anemic, let's be honest, he's one of their best hitters as well. So yeah, that's the baseball setting the stage for that. We'll have the Mets and the Giants, the rubber match of their three-game series, right here in 98.7 ESPN New York tonight. Uh, coverage beginning at 6 p.m. But the big story on everyone's mind, mine included, is the NBA and how it pertains to the Knicks and how it pertains to next season. This is always such a fun week for me to host shows right in the middle of all the free agency. Um, and, you know, unlike in... in years three years four years five years ago the Knicks are starting to become uh, more and more of a prominent part of this I, I you know I remember doing shows like this three or four years ago and it was so frustrating because you're talking about all of these teams making these moves and all of these players getting paid so much money and the Knicks were one of those teams that okay after all the you know, quote-unquote players, meaning the teams that are contending for an NBA championship, made their moves over the first two or three days of free agency. Uh, then the Knicks filled in their roster with kind of the scraps that were left over. You know, the Brandon Jennings of the world, um, the Joakim Noahs of the world, moves like that that didn't really uh, lead to uh, anything more than a roster turnover each and every season. Knicks aren't in that boat anymore. You know, it's an important offseason for the Knicks. Uh, have they gotten better? That's the main question. Have they gotten better? I do think they've gotten better. I mean, essentially right now, what's happened? They traded Obi Toppin, and they have signed Dante DiVincenzo to a free agent contract. Now, Obi Toppin and, and, and a lot of what didn't allow him to be successful, let's, let's be honest, most of what didn't allow Obi to be successful in New York was out of his control. He was, um, he was the victim of unfortunate timing. You know, Obi was the National Collegiate Player of the Year in 2020 with Dayton. And Dayton was on its way to being probably a number two seed in the NCAA tournament that year. I think they were like 28-2. and two. Obi was this high flyer playing in the Atlantic 10. He was on SportsCenter every night because he, as we know from watching him in three years in New York, is prone to the uh, supreme highlight level play, which he was in college. And we were all excited to see what this kid could do after playing. I mean, Atlantic 10 is a little bit above a mid-major, but it's not, you know, high-major basketball where you're competing in the ACC or the Big East or the Big 12 every night. So we were excited to see what Obi Toppin could do um, on that stage. And unfortunately, that was 2020, and the NCAA tournament uh, was canceled that year. But there was a lot of excitement. He's a kid from Brooklyn. He went to high school in Westchester County, Ossining High School, uh, and he was a big name. He was one of the big names in the draft that year. And the Knicks picked him at number eight, and there was a lot of excitement surrounding it. Uh, when the Knicks picked him, Julius Randle had been a Nick for one season. And his first season, and the team's season when Julius Randle was in his first year at the Knicks, 2019-2020, was extremely disappointing. And people wanted to run Randle out of town after that first year. Now, Randle's numbers were solid. He averaged about 19 points 10 rebounds a game played every game like Julius Randle always seems to do 
the season ended short. Randall actually played much better after they fired David Fisdale. When Mike Miller took over as the interim head coach, Randall's production, like everybody on the Knicks production, went up because they had an actual coach coaching the team as opposed to David Fisdale. Uh, and then COVID happened. The Knicks season ended. They didn't come back for the bubble. And everything was quiet for months. So the next excitement you got was Obi Toppin. And everybody wanted to see Obi because of what he had done in the Atlantic 10. But let's let's keep this into perspective, right? What he had done in the Atlantic 10, he was doing that against the likes of, you know, St. Louis University and Fordham University uh, and St. Joseph's University, right? Uh, but people wanted to see him instead of Julius Randle, which was silly. And it is still silly if you think about it that way. And then what happened... After that, well, Obi's on the team. He's the backup power forward. Julius is still your starting power forward because he's your highest paid player on the team. And that happened to be the year where it all clicked for Julius. You know, that was the year where there weren't fans allowed in the stands. Uh, the Knicks, it was Tom Thibodeau's first year. So they had a strong coach leading the team. Randall had by far his best season. He was an all-star for the first time. He was second team All-NBA. And as we know, Tom Thibodeau's coaching style, he plays his stars. He plays his veterans' big minutes. And Randall led the NBA in minutes played that year. He played about 37, 38 minutes a game. That did not leave much for Obi Toppin, especially a young rookie learning the league who is his biggest deficiency is on the defensive end. And that does not jive with how Tom Thibodeau coaches. Year two, it was much of the same, except Randall wasn't as good. So the frustrations within the fan base grew that they weren't seeing Obi Toppin. Let's all be honest, right? Julius Randall, despite being a highly productive Nick over the last four years, is not the most popular Nick among the fan base. And that is always the case with somebody who is brought in from the outside. R.J. Barrett, not brought in from the outside. Knicks fans adore him. Emmanuel quickly, they adore him. Obi Toppin, he's a nice guy. He's always smiling. Um, he's energetic when he's on the court. He plays a, a fun-to-watch brand of basketball, getting up and down the floor, catching lobs, throwing down alley-oops, and he's a homegrown Nick. Knicks fans wanted to see him as opposed to the quote-unquote overpaid outsider who the Knicks brought in on the free agent market, which would be Julius Randle. And it was magnified in year two when Randle's production dipped. It was magnified even more when Randle had his thing with the fans that he later apologized for uh, in year two. And overall, the team wasn't having the same success. And then at the end of that year, Randle, they shut him down because the Knicks were already out of playoff contention. They gave top in the start for the last 10 games of the season Let's be honest, those were meaningless games as far as the Knicks were concerned and a lot of their opponents were concerned as well. And Toppin put up very big numbers in those games. So coming into year three, Randall coming off of a bad year in which he was feuding with the fans, Toppin showing some serious signs of life towards the end of the season. Fans wanted to see more from Obi in year number three, and they never got it. They never got it for a couple of reasons. Number one, Randall rejuvenated his career thanks largely to the presence of Jalen Brunson and Randall had another all-star season and another all-NBA level season. As a result, Tom Thibodeau played his best player or if you want to call him his second best player among the most minutes on the team. 
Randall, except for the final five games of the regular season, played every single game. And once again, there weren't enough minutes for Obi Toppin. So that brought the Knicks to this offseason, and it's what are you going to do with this guy? Because they looked at that situation. Randall's coming back. He has professed on Paul George's podcast and the comments that he's made this offseason. He's all in on New York, right? He's going. He went through the offseason surgery on his ankle. Hopefully that cleans that up. I, among others, have said on the air, on the record, that the Knicks, I think it wouldn't be the worst idea to pursue opportunities to move on from Randall just because of the way his production has dipped during the postseason. But that does not appear to be the path that the Knicks are going to take right now. Right now, all signs are that Julius Randall is back next year and he is back in his identical role. So where does that leave Obi Toppin? It leaves Obi Toppin playing 13, 14 minutes a game. And if he makes a mistake, he gets yanked early. And if he's got a good game going, chances are he's probably going to get yanked for Julius Randle anyway. So essentially, in this franchise, Toppin, because of the position that he plays, and the guy who plays the position above him on the depth chart, was year after year hitting his head on this ceiling. That wasn't entirely his fault. So he's an asset. What are you going to do with it? Well, now that brings in the business part of this NBA thing. Toppin is extension eligible this offseason to sign his rookie extension. That wasn't going to happen. But Emmanuel Quickly is also eligible to sign his rookie extension. And then Quinton Grimes will soon be eligible to sign their rookies, rookie extension. Quickly, Grimes, Toppin. Those three players, all drafted by the Knicks, all coming up on being eligible to sign rookie extensions. You can't pay them all. Who is the most dispensable of those three? It's obviously Obi Toppin. He's the one who backs up your best player and plays 14 minutes a game. Emmanuel Quickly was the runner-up for sixth man of the year last year, and Quentin Grimes is your best two-way player on the perimeter and developed in his second season in the NBA into your starting shooting guard. You can't pay all three. The rest of the NBA knows that the Knicks can't pay all three, and they know what the pecking order is as well. If I know it, and many of you know it, then the rest of the NBA knows it. And they knew that the Knicks weren't going to be able to pay Toppin. He'd become a restricted free agent after next season. The Knicks wouldn't match his contract, and he would walk away for nothing. So what the Knicks did essentially yesterday, and I've heard a lot of people complaining that they only got two second-round picks in exchange for Obi Toppin. The Knicks, if they waited a year and let Toppin continue in his same role, which he would have done, would have gotten nothing for him next year. Now, at least you get something, you free up a spot on the roster, and you bring in a player who Tom Thibodeau likes, who, if he shoots at a high percentage, fits in better with what your needs are to try to improve this team, and that's Dante DiVincenzo. So that's the Knicks offseason so far. Um, have they lost some athleticism in their lineup with Obi Toppin leaving? Yes, they have. Are they continuing to be very, very reliant on Julius Randle's health coming off of ankle surgery? Yes, they are. Is their offseason finished? It could be as far as making big moves of rotation players, but I think there's a pretty good chance that they are not finished this offseason. I think there's still a lot to play out. You've got some major, major uh, stars or former stars in the case of James Harden who have requested trades and those situations need to sort themselves out. And I'm not saying Harden's coming here. And I'm not saying that Damian Lillard is coming to New York. But if and when those players are traded, and Lillard will be traded 
Harden will probably be traded, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Daryl Morey dig in his heels in Philadelphia and wait for the absolute best return for a James Harden trade, just like he did for the Ben Simmons trade two years ago. But Lillard's going to be traded. Harden will most likely be traded. And even if neither of those players is traded to the Knicks, the domino effect that it will set off across the NBA is there's a good chance that that could impact the Knicks roster going forward. And that could be the Knicks opportunity to improve this roster. And all of the fans that have wondered why the Knicks didn't pull the trigger and give Utah what it wanted for Donovan Mitchell. And all of the fans wondering why they don't give in to Philadelphia and bring in James Harden or give in to Portland and bring in Damian Lillard. Well, maybe the Lillard and Harden situations, whatever transactions results surrounding them, maybe that could lead to the opportunity that Leon Rose and the Knicks front office is waiting for and has been waiting for. So it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks for the Knicks. I think they're, uh, I think they're better today. They definitely needed shooting. And I've heard mixed reviews on DiVincenzo's shooting. Um, I've heard he's not a good three-point shooter. The numbers indicate that he is a good three-point shooter, but you also have to take in, keep in mind he was playing alongside Curry and Klay Thompson last year with Draymond Green as the primary playmaker on that team. So that formula is going to lead to a lot of open shots. Is he going to get that high level and high quality of shot with the Knicks and be able to shoot the high percentage? You certainly hope so, but there's a good chance he won't. So the Knicks and the NBA lead us off this afternoon, 1-800-919-3776. For those of you who want to weigh in, do you think the Knicks are better today? What moves are out there that you would like to see the Knicks make to continue to improve their roster? Or do you not think they've improved their roster at all? 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe, Sunday afternoon on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. And it's funny. I make this point every year at this time. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. 1-800-919-3776. Every year this time, the NBA is just in a full-on frenzy with all of the free agency and the dollar amounts that are getting thrown around. And you see a guy like Desmond Bain who, you know, the casual NBA fan might not even know that much about. And you see that he signs a contract extension for more than $200 million. And you're just like, my God, a player that I don't even know that much about is worth that kind of money. And that's it's fun to watch. You know, Fred Van Vliet goes from Toronto, a staple of their 2019 championship team. He cashes in big time. Good for him. Undrafted player out of Wichita State. Spent some time in the G League. He's been an all-star. He's an NBA champion. And now he's been paid nearly $40 million a year to play for the Houston Rockets. A couple of big names changing teams. Most of the big names that have signed contracts this free agency period um, returned to their own teams. And then, of course, you have the two big names that have officially requested trades or are rumored to have requested trades, and that is Damian Lillard and James Harden. But in the midst of talking about all of these trade possibilities – and in the midst of talking about which team has cap space to send uh, to spend on free agents and which free agents are going where, all of that every single year at this time reminds me and hammers the point home how important it is to draft well in this league. And that lays the framework 
especially for a franchise that isn't the Lakers, that can attract any free agent they want, especially for a franchise that isn't the Miami Heat, that can attract any free agent they want. Even the Knicks. The Knicks are in the number one market in the NBA. Have they, outside of Jalen Brunson last year, whose father was an assistant coach on the team and who had, in Jalen Brunson, a relationship with the Knicks team president, Leon Rose, and World Wide West, have the Knicks attracted a big-time free agent since since when? It has been a very long time because the Knicks had not drafted well, so the infrastructure was not there. So even though New York is a very desirable market and Madison Square Garden, which this era of Knicks basketball under Rose and Tom Thibodeau has brought the Garden back to life, and I think MSG and playing there has become a real asset for the Knicks in their team-building pursuit once again. But the Knicks, because the infrastructure was not there for so many years, poor drafts, poor management, poor trades. It wasn't a destination for free agents. They're just coming out of that darkness right now. That's why I think there was a lot of hope this offseason that the Knicks could do something more. But if you looked at their financial situation, there wasn't much that they could do. You know, they're locked in on Julius Randle. They're locked in on Jalen Brunson, and they should be. As I said at the very, very beginning of the NBA offseason, as soon as the Knicks were eliminated, I said two things. I said, number one, you can't come back with the same nine-man rotation that you had this year that made tremendous strides and that got you to the second round of the playoffs. But you can't come back with the same nine-man rotation this year and expect to have better results. And the Knicks will not come back with the same nine-man rotation. Obi Toppin has been replaced by Dante DiVincenzo. Now, it's not a significant move. It's not a huge move because of the nine-man rotation, Obi Toppin was probably your ninth man. So you upgraded your ninth man. Now the question is, what else can you upgrade? Where else can you make upgrades? And, and then, of course, the biggest question will continue to remain, can you be in a position to attract a star? And if you, if and when you decide to pull the trigger on that, will it be the right star? And it could be this offseason for the Knicks, depending on how things shake out. It could be during the upcoming season. But I do think that the Knicks are closer to being in that position than they were last offseason and the offseason before that. You know, patience, and I've preached patience a lot in my conversations about the Knicks on this show over the years. Once again, patience is going to be very important. The Knicks showed patience last year in not giving up so much for Donovan Mitchell. And then that seemed to pay off after one year because they went out and beat Donovan Mitchell in the first round handily with all the assets that they would have had to have given up to acquire Donovan Mitchell. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Rich on Staten Island. Rich, how you doing? I'm okay, buddy. Um, I think the Knicks should trade for Pascal Siakam. I think that they should send RJ, Emmanuel Quickly, Evan Fournier's contract, and a couple of ones and a couple of twos for Siakam. I think that puts us, makes us a championship-caliber team. I think that Siakam has already proven, being that he's an NBA champion, he's a two-time All-Star. Um, it's also, you know, he can switch off between playing both forward spots for Randall. Um, if Randall disappears again in the, in the postseason, we know Siakam's not. You figure with the guys we have, with, you know, Hart, Hartenstein, uh, DiVincenzo, and still have Deuce coming off the bench, We'll be, I think, we'll be a much better team than the moment than many people will have size at six, you know, another six nine guy on the front line to go along with Mitch and Hartenstein and Randall. I think that makes us a better team. I think that's the better move for us to make. 
as a team. He's also in the last year of his contract, so he'll be playing for a contract. I think it's so a that helps player. us big time. Rich, look, he's he's a guy who I've had on my short list of guys who would fit here ever since last season ended. And and for me, honestly, Rich, it's upgrading. Brunson's the number one guy on the team. Okay, he proved yeah. that he proved that in the playoffs. All right, I I need an upgrade at number two, and I I respect. And now it'll be Siakam. I, well, but it's got to be. I think if there's a way that you can spin Randall into Siakam. And make him the centerpiece of that trade. Now, will Toronto do See, that? I, I don't. I don't know if that Toronto will do that. But I think Toronto well, is a Toronto, team to Toronto watch. Toronto because you, I think Toronto made because you, you get the hometown kid coming back. They're going to have to do a whole rebuild with Van Fleet leaving. Um, they they can get young assets and the you know the running up to six man and 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 uh quickly. And they also have RJ, who's really on a, a team friendly deal. You know, considering how the cap is going. Um, it's less money than what they're getting for, you know, than what they were paying Siakam. Um, you know, they can move off of Fournier's contract. Like, it, it's a good deal for both sides. And they get more picks to build their team out. They're not win- – they couldn't even make the play-in. You know, they lost in the play-in. So, it's like they're not winning anything anytime soon. So, why keep a guy that's making $37 million for one year? For what? No, I agree with that, Rich, and I think he's a good fit, and thanks for the call. I think Toronto is definitely a team worth watching, especially in light of the fact that they lost Fred Van Vliet. And that was a huge swing and a miss on their part. They could have traded Van Vliet at the trade deadline last year, knowing that he was going to decline his option, which he did, and become a free agent, which he did, and now he's gone to Houston, and they got nothing in return. So when you lose an asset like that, an all-star guard, um, ask Dallas, and he and Jalen Brunson wasn't even an all-star in Dallas. But ask Dallas how deep a hole that is in today's climate to lose an all-star guard or an all-star caliber guard in his prime and get absolutely nothing in return. And that's why the Knicks and and Toppin's on a much lower level than a Jalen Brunson or a uh, Fred Van Vliet. But that's why the Knicks jumped at this because they knew that Toppin was going to walk at the end of next season. So can the Knicks find those 14 minutes somewhere else to back up Julius Randle? Yeah, they can do that, whether it's DiVincenzo, whether it's somebody else who they bring in. I think Siakam as your number two piece behind Jalen Brunson, um, I think that's a significant upgrade. If if Siakam can but, – but the trade that that caller laid out, RJ and um, quickly, and a couple of firsts and a couple of seconds, that's too expensive in my opinion for Pascal Siakam. Uh, what I would rather do is I would ra- – and obviously Evan Fournier, but Fournier is just salary filler. He's not part of the plans anyway. He can go you know, at any point in any trade as long as it makes sense financially. What I would love to see the Knicks do is get off of Randall's contract and bring in Siakam and keep the rest of that young core around them. All right? I don't want to see RJ go in that trade, and I don't want to see Quickly go in that trade. Now, if you make Randall the centerpiece of that trade, Toronto's going to want a lot more picks, but that's what those picks are there for. Right, the Knicks deemed that Donovan Mitchell wasn't the right guy to go all in for. Is Siakam, and I don't even know if you would have to go all in for Pascal Siakam. But Julius Randle's on a very tradable contract also. I know he signed his extension after his all-star season, and then he took a step backwards last year and feuded with the fans, and everybody thought, oh my God, we're paying this guy $25 million a year. What a disaster. Well, that contract for the production that he gives you, that's a phenomenal contract. And he's already two years into that contract now. So he's got one more year, and then he's got a player option. So essentially, Randall could be viewed as an expiring contract this coming season. 
or maybe you play things out with Julius Randle this year. But I would much rather upgrade that spot. That's the spot to me that needs to be upgraded. You know, when I sat here and said I want the Knicks to not come back with the same nine-man rotation, I didn't mean, all right, let's upgrade the ninth spot in the rotation. It's good that they did because you brought in a guy like DiVincenzo who has a skill set that Toppin doesn't, and that's outside shooting. And I know Toppin improved as a three-point shooter. And early on in the playoffs this year, Toppin was actually the Knicks' best three-point shooter in the postseason before he tailed off. But he's not a confident three-point shooter. He's not a guy who gives you confidence. DiVincenzo's numbers indicate that in his career, he is a superior three-point shooter to what Obi Toppin has been. So in that regard, and that was an area of need for the Knicks, because let's go down the roster, all right? Who is a plus-plus three-point shooter? Brunson was excellent this past year. You know, Quinton Grimes is above average. Julius Randle's not. R.J. Barrett's not. Mitchell Robinson doesn't shoot them. Isaiah Hartenstein's below average. Obi Toppin was below average. Emmanuel Quickly is, I know it feels like he's a great shooter. He's slightly above average. Um, and that's where you have upgraded that spot from a three-point shooting perspective uh, with the uh, removal of Obi Toppin and replacing him with Dante DiVincenzo. But I want to go back to my point. We'll take a quick break. I want to go back to my point on just how to illustrate how important drafting is and how you can avoid you know, a lot of the angst and a lot of the uncertainty that free agency brings and that the trade market brings just by simply drafting well at the beginning. It's a lot easier said than done. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Jeremy Grant of the Portland Trailblazers just agreed to a five-year contract extension worth $160 million. That's over $30 million a year. Now, Grant has never been an all-star, never sniffed the all-star team, and never sniffed being an all-NBA performer. Julius Randle, who plays every single game except when he sprained his ankle and missed the last five games of the regular season, uh, he's going to be 28 years old this come, uh He's going to be 29 years old, excuse me, this coming season. Um, and he is on the books for... Uh, a $26 million salary this year, $27 million salary next year, and then he's got a player option the following year for $29 million, which at that point with the new TV contract either having kicked in already or imminent, you've got to imagine that Randall, if he continues this level of production, is going to decline that player option and become an unrestricted free agent again. So my point is, Things change quickly in the NBA in terms of how contracts are perceived. And last year, when Tom Thibodeau was in his second year as the Knicks head coach and Randall was feuding with the fans, so I'm talking about the 2021-2022 season, and he was making $23 million and you had four, maybe five years left of that contract, it didn't look good. Now it looks a whole lot better, and it's actually an asset because you know what teams do need in the NBA? They need guys who play and they need guys who produce. And whether you like Randall or not, he has always done those two things uh, throughout his career. So essentially what the Knicks have done so far this offseason, while other teams are busy uh, making splashier moves, the Knicks were handcuffed to a large degree. First of all, they lost their draft pick when Dallas tanked at the end of the season. We all thought that 
that draft pick would convey. It was top 10 protected. The Mavericks went to the Western Conference Finals a year ago. Nobody in their right mind thought that that pick would be a top 10 pick. And still, until, and instead, until, excuse me, until the Mavericks traded for Kyrie Irving, their season went in the tank, and then they actually tanked at the end to protect that asset. So the Knicks lost that, and then they traded away their uh, actual first-round pick to the Trailblazers in exchange for Josh Hart, which I think we can all agree was a home run and well worth it at the 23rd pick in the draft. So what the Knicks have done so far, they have Hart pick up his player options. So that's a very, very reasonable $12.4 million price tag. They took a guy in Obi Toppin who they knew they weren't going to pay and who was not part of their long-term plans for reasons that I've already laid out. Uh, and they traded him for 40 cents on the dollar, sure. But next year, they would have lost him for zero cents on the dollar. So what they did was they preemptively got something, some value uh, out of the asset, trading him to the Indiana Pacers. And they replaced that spot in the rotation with Dante DiVincenzo, a player who uh, has played well when healthy. He's athletic. And statistically, is a better three-point shooter than definitely Obi Toppin. And most of the players who the Knicks already have in their rotation. Now, a lot of conversation about what the Knicks have done. Adrian Wojnarowski on NBA Today talking about the Obi Toppin trade and what it's going to do for a popular Nick, Obi Toppin. You know, Obi Toppin, the eighth overall pick in New York in 2020. Listen, this is going to give him an opportunity to play a bigger role in Indiana. And the Knicks will get back a couple of uh, picks here. But uh, this is a conversation that was picked up from back at the trade deadline between New York and Indiana. And I think Obi Toppin, I think there's still a story to be written on his career. He's kind of faced a, little, a bit of a log jam in New York. I agree with that, and I hope for the best from Obi. Like I said, he was a popular Nick. He was, uh, he, he, except the stories that came out after this season about the confrontation that he had in the locker room during one of the playoff games in Miami with Tom Thibodeau over his lack of playing time, but he never made that public. He never brought it out to the light of the media and the public, uh, and it had to be a frustrating three-year tenure for him. Big-time college star playing in his hometown, and for circumstances, many of which were out of his control, he never was able to get uh, a full opportunity. It wasn't going to happen here for Obi Toppin. And you hope that it does happen for him in Indiana. Stephen A. Smith, also on NBA Today, was less than pleased with the trade of Obi Toppin. I'm not thrilled. I mean, it's, a, it's a, something involving the Knicks, and I'm not happy. Um, <laughs> I understand why they're doing it. I mean, when you talk about two second-round picks, maybe, just maybe, if Tom Thibodeau uh, found a way to play him a bit more, they could have gotten more than two second-round picks. So I'm not happy about that because I think that he's a real talent. I think that he's got a, a, a lot of capabilities, and it would have been nice to see him utilized more in New York City because I personally believe you could have going small at times and play Julius Randle at the five and OB Toppin at the four and play them together. That's just my personal opinion. Having said all of that, based on the amount of time that he's received on the court playing for Tom Thibodeau, it's clearly a reasonable trade. And I think a, a lot of what Stephen A. Smith says is correct. Uh, people wanted to see the Knicks try to play Toppin and Julius Randle together. Tom Thibodeau doesn't coach that way. He's been here for three years, and he's had um, more success in that role than anybody who occupied that role going back to 2013 when Mike Woodson was the head coach of the Knicks. Is Tom Thibodeau perfect? No. Is he rigid, and does he get stuck in his ways? 
Yeah, he absolutely does. He's not a perfect head coach. There's not a perfect head coach. The closest thing, I think, is the guy who knocked Tom Thibodeau out of the playoffs and Eric Spolstra. That being said, did Tom Thibodeau handle this um, situation, Obi Toppin and, and, and his development and fitting into this team as well as he could have? No, I would say he didn't. I would say that Obi Toppin was probably more deserving of the shot that he got, uh, was deserving of a better shot than he got, but he wasn't going to get it under this head coach and this regime. And when you look at the totality of who Tom Thibodeau is and what the Knicks have been since he took over as the head coach, he took over a franchise that didn't go to the playoffs for seven years. And during that time, bottomed out not once but twice and won 17 games in an 82-game season during that stretch between their last playoff appearance and when Tom Thibodeau got to New York. And in his three years here as the head coach, okay, they've gone to the playoffs twice. They went to the second round of the playoffs this past year, and they are on an upward trajectory. So while Tom Thibodeau is not perfect, and you may think that he's too rigid and he's too stubborn in some ways, and I will agree with those points, I think you have to look at the totality of the situation and say in terms of this head coach and what he's done, the Good has pretty significantly outweighed the bad so far. If you want to put the way that Toppin was handled and not given a shot in the bad category, I'm not going to argue with you over that. But let me also say this before we take a quick break, and then we'll come back and get some of your phone calls because I know a lot of you want to weigh in on this right now. Let me also say this. The Knicks' success next year and taking that next step, maybe to a conference final, um, maybe to becoming a 50-win team, the Knicks' success next year wasn't going to hinge on Obi Toppin. That much I know from watching him for three years. So it was time for him to move on and get what you can for the asset before you would have lost him for nothing. 1-800-919-3776. I see a lot of you already want to check in. I'll take a quick break and get to that as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, rolling along on this 4th of July weekend. Still just the 2nd of July. And hey... The Mets are undefeated in the month of July. Mets and Giants, rubber match of their three-game series tonight. You can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. After the Mets won 4-1 yesterday to snap their three-game losing streak, a chance to win the series tonight. David Peterson, who came up from the minors with an excellent start against Milwaukee during the week, gets to start again against Ross Stripling. Yankees in St. Louis looking for that series win. They get going about an hour and a half from now. Good pitching matchup, Garrett Cole against the former Yankee, Jordan Montgomery. But a lot of talk about the NBA and specifically the Knicks during this important offseason right now. So let's go to the phones and welcome in Dino in the Bronx. Dino, how you doing today? No, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um, I just wanted to ask, well, I wanted to talk about Randall. Yeah. I don't feel like you're going to get anything substantially better than him. Like, if you trade him and like, the production that he's give you, you're probably just going to get two two worst pieces. You know, maybe a couple, maybe like a first-rounder, a second-rounder. And it's like, I, I, to me, it's not worth it, honestly. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan him, of trading. See what else you can add. I'm not a fan of trading Randall for the sake of trading Randall. I'm, I'm a fan of trading Randall if you can get an upgrade at that spot in the Knicks rotation as your second option. And I think Pascal Siakam would fit the bill. Now, if Randall's the centerpiece of that trade, Toronto's going to want more because the Knicks are the team that's looking to upgrade. Randall, we know what Randall can give you during the regular season. Okay, he is now, and I understand he was injured this past offseason. 
uh, excuse me, this past postseason, uh, and he had the offseason ankle surgery. Okay, but when you look at two years ago against Atlanta, you look at this year, he really struggled against Cleveland. Yes, I know he was injured. He really struggled against Miami. Yes, I know that he was injured. But in the ultimate game of the season, with the Knicks' season on the line, all right, against Miami in game six, outside of Jalen Brunson, the Knicks got one field goal in the fourth quarter, their final quarter of the season. It was a layup by Josh Hart with about 52 seconds to go. Other than that, you had one guy hitting field goals for you in that fourth quarter. And if you're a team that wants to take the next step, you need you need something more than that, okay? Randall was out there and had a horrible game. R.J. Barrett was out there and had a horrible game. Now, Barrett had a lot of moments during these playoffs. R.J. Barrett, the first two games against Cleveland, was terrible. Everybody wanted to run him out of town. And then after that, he went on a hot streak. He had about six or seven really good games in a row, some of them great games that led to playoff victories. And then, unfortunately for Barrett, in the final game of the season, and he was aggressive early. He got to the free throw line early in that game. He hit his free throws early in that game, but he was one for 11 in that game. He had one field goal as the Knicks were eliminated. So you need to upgrade what's behind Brunson because, look, Brunson's awesome. We all know what he became, 6'4", 6'3 point guard, tough as anything, um, heart and soul of this team right now, best player on this team right now, most clutch player on this team right now. But he doesn't have, you know, he, he's a little guy. He's 6'2", 6'3". He doesn't have the stature to carry a team like that. He needs help. Siakam is a multiple-time All-NBA player. He's an NBA champion. He's a multiple-time NBA All-Star. He's an upgrade over Julius Randle. Now, what would you have to give up to make that trade happen? Well, you'd have to give up picks. You'd have to give up probably one of your other young players, like maybe an Emmanuel Quickly or a Quentin Grimes. And that's not the worst thing in the world either, especially now that Dante DiVincenzo is in to add a little depth. He can swing back and forth between the backcourt and the frontcourt. But that provides you a little bit of cushion if you need to get rid of one of those players. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut. Tommy, how you doing? Hey, what's up, my friend? How are you? Good. So I'm just, you got to love NBA free agency. It's just like off to the races, man. But I'm looking at the Knicks now, and I like DiVincenzo as a player. But don't you think it kind of clogs up the backcourt where you just, you can only have so many guards. You know, there's only so many minutes to play. Um, and I like the caller that suggested Siakam. I'd love to go after him. Um, and the other player I'm thinking that, I guess could be available would be Nas Reed from uh, Minnesota because you know the, the Knicks have such an excess of draft picks which they're not going to make those picks the draft picks are currency so I'm thinking you know both of those teams are you know either rebuilding or, or just need draft picks you go after that and then I don't know what you do with Randall because I know on the stat sheet you know he's going to give you his, you know 25 and 10 but the reason he's so frustrating is because he chews up so much of the shot clock and then he doesn't feel the double coming and he, you know, leaves his feet and then, you know, gives somebody, you know, a lousy shot opportunity. He doesn't, he doesn't make the other players on, on the floor better. The issue with Julius Randle, Tommy, and thanks for the call is this. I, I liken him to how the Yankees have been in recent years. The Yankees in recent years have been a team and a roster set up to get into the postseason. They're there for the long haul. Uh, between their lineup, their starting pitching, their bullpen, they're good enough 
over a course of 162 games to win 90 to 92 of them and get into the postseason. And that's what Randall is. Randall's going to play 82 games. He's going to, you know, he's going to play at least 78 games for you. He's going to give you 23 points a game. He's going to give you 10 rebounds a game. He's going to give you four assists a game. He's going to give you maximum effort. He's going to take bad shots. He's going to have some nights where he can't miss. He's going to have some nights where he can't make a shot. But over the course of 82, he's going to be a highly productive player for you. All right, but the the focus of this Knicks team this offseason has now shifted. The focus is no longer, you know, three years ago, before Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau got here, three years ago, the focus was on how do we be a competitive team? How do we win 35 games? How do we go 39 and 43 and contend for a playing spot? And then their first year, they surprised a lot of people. They won 41 games in a 72-game season, 41 and 31. They made the playoffs. And now the focus shifts to, all right, how do we become a consistent playoff team? Well, now this year, they surprised more people by not only getting into the playoffs as the fifth seed, but making the second round. So the focus is no longer, how do we be more competitive? It's no longer, how do we get into the playoffs? Now it's, how do we make a deep run into the playoffs? And I think there's enough of a sample size on Julius Randle to know he has taken you as far as he can. Now it's pretty far for the reasons I just laid out. But it's also clear after the Atlanta series two years ago, after the Cleveland series this year, after the Miami series this year, I just think that position, if you're going to take the next step, needs an upgrade. More on this and the importance of drafting in the NBA. It's more important than you think. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.